0: Welcome back to my so-called midlife podcast. I'm Jennifer and this is episode 145. It was kind of a hectic week. (laughs) I hope you all had a good week. Um, Mine wasn't bad. It was just busy. I uh, The beginning of last week, I decided that I needed to have a car I needed to have it now. Uh, There were some events that happened in my personal life, and my way of dealing with that was um, to buy a car. So I've had the money for a down payment, but what I decided to do with that money was open up an account, uh, actually through Credit Karma, that was not linked to my checking account, that would kind of hold that down payment. It would collect interest at a higher rate. And I did that thinking that when it was time for, you know, when I decided it was time to have a car that I could just, you know, transfer the money into my checking account and then just kind of go on with the business of buying a car. Um, One thing that I had not considered was those two accounts weren't linked. Um, I, I sort of knew that, you know, I mean, I kind of, the reason why I did like this outside account was so that it wouldn't be so easy for me to access that money because I know how I am with money and I'm not great with it. So, you know, I thought I would do this thing, you know, kind of like a Christmas account <laughs> where it's, it's, it's a completely separate from your checking account and all of that worked well except for when you want that money quickly. Um, and because those two accounts aren't linked, uh, they, I, when I withdrew the money from that outside account, it was not able to be electronically transferred to my checking account. They instead, you know, did a withdrawal and they're sending me a paper check. And I'm wondering if this is 1982. Um, I haven't dealt with the paper check in a very long time. Uh, not in that way. So, you know, it, it, it put a halt to things, right? So I had some cash on hand and I figured, okay, well, here's what I'll do. I'll take whatever cash I have on hand. I'll go to the dealership and, you know, put down maybe like a holding fee. And then once I get the check and it clears, I'll go back, put the rest of the money down and purchase the car. Well, I've never purchased a car on my own before. I've always had some kind of help. So I really did not understand the process at all. And I realized kind of early on that this process might be a little bit too big for me to do on my own. So started getting overwhelmed, started getting frustrated, immediately sent a text to JJ and I was like, I don't know what I'm doing. <laughs> so he said, you know, don't worry, I'll help you. And he did. He was a huge help. I mean, even, even just kind of him, me being able to sort of bounce stuff off of him and say like, you know, is this okay? Am I doing this right? You know, blah, blah, blah. It was really nice to be able to have that because he's purchased a lot of cars. So, you know, to be able to sort of draw off that expertise was so helpful for me. Um, you know, gave me some confidence, made me feel a little bit better about my choices. So I end up going to the dealership. Um, JJ in his online searches for cars had sent me a link to one that was, you know, seemed pretty decent. So I go to the dealership and test drive it and it's okay. You know, it's definitely not like the best car in the market, but it's something I could afford. And it, works and it was low mileage and you know so I kept telling myself you know that maybe it's not my idea of a perfect car but I need a car right now so this is the one I can afford so this is the one I'm gonna get well it turns out they wanted more money down than I had in cash available at the time and they don't Hold cars. So <laughs> um, uh, I was a little disappointed. You know, I explained to them about, you know, waiting for the check to come and deposit it and blah, blah, blah. They didn't care, um, which I don't blame them. You know, why, why would they hold a car for me on a maybe when they might have a yes, I'll take it, you know, come in right after me? So I sort of walked out of the dealership. I sent. JJ texted, text to to him, you know, that I was, why I wasn't able to get the car that day. And I just said to him, like, you know, if it's, it's not my car, it's not meant for me, you know, if if it's still available when the check clears and I have the actual amount to put down that they're requiring, then fine, I'll get it. But if not, then that car's not mine. I just checked, by the way, uh, yesterday, the car's already sold it's fine. I kind of figured. I mean, it was, it was, it was one of those almost too good to be true type situations. So I was a little bit bummed that night, you know, that I got home from the dealership because I had gone in thinking things were going to turn out one way and they didn't go that way. And, um, so I was a little bit bummed about that. But then I remembered that the finance person at the dealership had told me, that when they checked my credit, one of the things they saw was that I had an excellent payment history with my last car. Uh, yeah, of course I did. I There are three things I do not fuck around with when it comes to money. And that is my rent, my utility payments, and my car payments. Each of those, I have a spotless payment record on. So my credit cards not so much. But so I'm, you know, was thinking about that. And I thought, oh, if that's true, then why can't I try to just see if I can get financing on my own, rather than, you know, entrusting that to the dealership. So I go online, I go to the place where I had my last car loan. I answer a few questions, very simple process. And immediately got pre-approved for a loan at for way more money than I will ever spend on a car. I don't even care what my financial situation was. Um, and at a much better interest rate than what the dealership was offering me. So even though I it didn't turn out the way I kind of thought it would when I went into the dealership, it actually worked out for the better over the long run. So now it's just a waiting game and I don't do well with waiting. I I like to actively be doing something, but there really isn't anything I can do until I get that check, I deposit it and the funds are available. And then I can take that into a dealership. And at that time, you know, I'll just see what cars are available in my price range. You know, if, if there, I've been looking online a little bit, there's, you know, a good, a good amount To choose from. Um, I have an idea of sort of what I'm looking for. And I don't think I'll have an issue uh, finding something that works for me. But, you know, I was just reminded again, that my timing is not what matters, that God always looks out for me. And always, I mean, always, whenever I think I whenever I'm in a big rush to get something done and there's a roadblock that stops me from doing it eventually when I am able to do it it always turns out better than it would have the first time so TV podcast recommendations no new podcasts this week and also no new TV I really was busy this week with this car stuff. And when I wasn't, you know, actively looking for a car, I was anxious about actively looking for a car. I did start uh, season three of The Morning Show on Apple TV. You guys all know what that is. That's a Jennifer Aniston one. You all, You know I like it. I've, you know, talked about it before. So far, season three seems to be living up to the expectations created by season one and two. So, so far, so good. I have been trying to do more reading, um, and I, you know, thought I would actually have a hard time concentrating on reading, but it really helped me because it kind of took me out of my own headspace. Um, The book that I'm reading is called Watching You. It's by Lisa Jewell. It starts with a murder, and then it kind of goes back to the beginning the Amazon review says it's a twisty cat and mouse thriller of voyeurism, obsession, and murder that keeps you hooked until the very last page. I'm about a third of the way through it. And so far, so good. I like it. It's it's not um, super kind of like intrigue and thriller but it's interesting enough and the characters are developed enough even a third of the way through that I'm invested I want to see where it's going but you know like I said I'm only a third of the way through so I'll let you know whether or not it lives up to that Amazon review hype all right now that you're all caught up on my week let's get into this week's topic back. So over the last few years, in different circumstances, I've heard the term shadow work. I didn't know what it meant. And I wasn't all that interested in looking it up because usually when I heard it, it was associated with like mm, holistic or sort of esoteric spirituality. And it seemed a little... I don't know, hokey at best, and at worst, something bad, you know, like black magic. But earlier this week, I was on Instagram and I saw a post by the Holistic Healer that, and I've talked about that account before, but the post was about shadow work. And suddenly I realized two things one, it's not black magic, and two, I should probably look into it a little bit more. Now, if you, like me, don't know what shadow work is, according to an article I found on Medical News Today, it's a type of psychotherapy that focuses on the shadow self, which is parts of your psyche that you keep hidden, you know, stuff like trauma or resentment, The psychoanalyst Carl Jung first developed the concept. Jung used the term shadow self to describe the things that people repress or do not not like to acknowledge about themselves. He theorized that it is a counterweight to the persona, which is the self that people present to others. Although the shadow self can include negative impulses, such as anger and resentment, Jung believed that it also held the potential for positive impulses, such as creativity. He felt that the shadow self is integral to a person's experience of the world and their relationships, and he also thought that a person could gain a better understanding of themselves and become more balanced by working with their shadow self. So basically, it's the parts of your personality that you tend to hide or repress, usually traits that we view as negative when we see them in others they may even be traits that we're not consciously aware of when you do shadow work on yourself it's a way to integrate your persona the public part of you and your shadow parts that you keep hidden in order to learn how to gain how to gain control over negative impulses i think most people are aware that they're not the same person in public as they are in private you know like if you're having a bad day at work it probably looks a little different than when you're having a bad day at home. But what Jung was talking about was referring to the private impulses you feel. It's the parts of your personality that you may or may not be consciously aware of that you try to avoid. And it could be anything from irrational, angry responses to things like cultural biases and self-sabotage. Having a shadow is part of the human experiences, because we were taught from an early age that we had to behave in a civilized way in order to integrate into society. When I was doing my research for this week, I found that there isn't a whole lot of scientific data when it comes to shadow work, and that's because it's different for everyone, so it's not a tangible, measurable thing which is probably why there isn't a standard of rules to follow if you're interested in trying to work on your shadow self. There are a lot of beliefs to doing shadow work if you're able to identify the parts of your personality that you're you're hiding. As Jung famously said, one does not become enlightened by imagining figures of light, but by making the darkness conscious. Not only will you become more accepting of yourself, you'll be able to extend that understanding and acceptance to others. Your shadow self was likely formed in childhood. You know, when we are young, we learn to model our behavior based on the adults around us. Some of it is good and healthy, and some of it is not. So, for example, if, like me, you had a grandmother who used to say things like, children should be seen and not heard, you may have become an adult who never learned to speak up for herself because you're constantly asking yourself, oh, God, am I doing it again? Am I speaking out of turn? Did anyone even ask for my opinion? Or worse, you tell yourself, your opinion doesn't matter at all. So as an adult, you can, if you can actually find the courage to speak up for yourself, you know, you, If you receive any kind of pushback, you immediately cave because it takes you right back to when you were a child and you were told to be seen and not heard. So, not, it's not just that, you know, like when we see someone else doing something, you know, like speaking up for themselves without fear, it might make you a little uncomfortable Maybe you get a little squirmy inside. Maybe you feel a little secondhand embarrassment for them because you just know they're going to get into trouble. Sometimes I get a little angry or annoyed, like, you know, they're being rude or they're hogging the spotlight. But in reality, I'm envious of them for being able to express their thoughts and feelings so freely. Or maybe. you were told as a child that no matter what you're doing, you're being too loud, talking too loud, laughing too loud, breathing too loud. As an adult, you develop the belief that loud equals bad. It's crass. It's uncivilized. To this day, if I'm out and someone is laughing too loud, I can feel myself getting annoyed with them. But Maybe they were encouraged to speak up or that expressing emotions loudly at a young age is natural. And so they became adults who can speak up and express emotions and not worry that someone is judging them. All I'm doing is projecting my irrational fear onto them. And I find that I kind of do this a lot. I see someone, usually someone I don't know, doing or saying something I could never do or say, and instead of appreciating their strength and bravery, I find myself having a negative reaction to it. Annoyance. Anger, even. It sets something off in me, and until recently, I've been putting the blame on them instead of taking a look at why I was having this negative reaction. Sure. Whenever I saw a person struggling with their weight, I knew that my negative reaction towards them had a lot more to do with me than with them. But I didn't fully realize all the ways in which I was doing this. Pretty much any time I saw someone being free, whether it was in action or words, it bugged me. I'd feel embarrassed not only for them, but for me as well. I didn't want any part of it. And because I was taught from a very young age that you should never do anything to draw attention to yourself, this always made me uncomfortable. Conversely, if you had a mom who encouraged you to follow your gut, you probably became an adult who believes you have pretty good instincts and you're able to listen and follow those instincts when it comes to making tough decisions. Or... Maybe you were a child that wasn't allowed to express anger. So now as an adult, when you get angry, you don't know how to express it. Or maybe you try to push it aside because you've learned that anger isn't healthy or it's quote, not proper behavior. We learn very early on exactly what we need to do in order to feel love and acceptance. And once that is developed, we carry on doing those same things in our adult relationships because we still have that fear that if we do something differently, they'll reject us. The concept of a shadow self is widely accepted in psychology, but you might've heard it described as something else. Some psychoanalysts call it self-reflection or even self-examination. Licensed therapist L Caraballo says most therapists are tapped with helping clients make unconscious conscious, which is a fundamental tenet of shadow work, adding that as a therapist, he subscribes to the belief that we all have a version of a shadow that when integrated can be well accepted and help us better manage our own mental health and relationships. You know, I don't know about you, but when you were a child, you know, whenever you weren't behaving, maybe you received a harsh punishment, you know, something not in proportion to what you did. And as an adult, you will then fear harsh repercussions for not being able to do something perfectly. Recently, when I was doing my research, I was reminded about the first time I got yelled at by my boss. I was 16, was my first job, and it was only meant to be for the summer. When the summer was ending and the school year was about to begin, I went to my boss to tell her that I was giving my notice. And she was angry and immediately began yelling at me, told me that if she had known it was only going to be a summer job for me, she never would have hired me. When I tried to explain to her that because I was 16 and still in school and wasn't going to be able to continue to work 11, you know, uh, 3 p.m. to 11 p.m. five days a week, she called me irresponsible and lazy. I was so upset. It took Everything in me not to cry in front of her. I had never been yelled at by anyone who wasn't related to me. And I did not know how to react. So my body did it for me. When she was done yelling and screamed, turn in your uniform badge and don't come back. I stood up, walked out of her office and promptly threw up. Right there on the carpet, just outside of her office door. You'd think I'd be embarrassed to tell that story, but it's actually one of the reactions I'm most proud of. Because for the first time in my life, I reacted to the way I was being treated. Maybe not verbally, but I think she got the message. If I could change anything, I wish I had thrown up in her office and not outside of it. Another thing is, I tend to misinterpret constructive criticism as just plain criticism. A few weeks ago, I had to work on a group presentation for work. There were about six of us on the team, and we were each responsible for a portion of the presentation. I had two topics that I was going to present. And I worked hard on them, not because we were being graded, but because I didn't want to let the team down. I wanted to show the group that I was taking the assignment seriously and not just throwing something together. When it came time to put all of our slides together, I started to notice that more comments were being made towards my slides. First, I was asked to remove a portion of it because that topic was being discussed by another member of the group on their slides. Then, I was told my slides were too wordy. It was also suggested that I use images and that I not read directly from the slide while I was presenting. I worked hard on my portion and all this criticism felt like they didn't notice or appreciate that. I put a lot of pride into my work. I know I am a good employee. I work hard. I don't half-ass it and I don't pass blame. Why? Because that's what I was taught. You always put in your best effort. To do less would be failing and failure is not an option. But I have to tell you, the more suggestions they had, the more picked on I felt. Like I was being singled out and it was pissing me off. Suddenly, I no longer cared whether they saw the hard work I was putting into it. I just wanted the whole thing to be over. Of course, the reality is, they weren't singling me out. Everyone was making comments on everyone's slides. They weren't picking on just me. They were picking on any of us, really. They were just making what they thought were helpful suggestions so that the presentation as a whole felt more cohesive. And I can see that now, but I didn't at the time. I got caught up in my own feelings, my own reactions. And it's not the first time, but I'd like it to be the last, or at least I'd like to be more aware in the moment that my perception of what's happening, you know, may not have anything to do with what is actually happening. I think we all have an awareness that when we're having an irrational or disproportionate negative reaction, that it's probably because what they're doing is hitting a nerve. Sometimes we react to it by putting the blame on them like I did, thinking I was being picked on. Other times we can keep ourselves in check in the moment, but later when we think back on it, we can seethe over it for weeks. That's why working on your shadow self is so important. Your shadow is made up of all the things you reject about yourself. It's your negative self-talk, basically. It's negative feelings about yourself that you try to keep hidden. But in reality, they are also the parts of you that crave acceptance the most. And just like with anything, when you bury or ignore negative feelings instead of facing them and dealing with them, they're going to find their way out. Maybe it's in poor self-esteem. Sometimes it manifests in depression or anxiety or self-sabotage. Or go in the opposite direction and maybe you develop an inflated ego. I mean, whenever I see someone I feel has an awfully high opinion of themselves, I always just kind of assume that maybe in reality they have low self-esteem. But now I'm starting to wonder if that's true. Maybe I'm just projecting my envy over someone who is able to express their beliefs in themselves in such a public way. I think The first thing to acknowledge is that your shadow self is not something to be ashamed of. It is not a personality flaw. It is a natural part of you that wasn't created by you, but by the things that happened to you. I have trouble speaking up for myself, but weirdly, I don't seem to have any trouble speaking up for someone else. Why? Because it's not about me, it's activism. Activism is admirable, right? But here's the reality. When I speak up for someone else, there's no risk. I can tell myself it's not about me. It's about this other person that I've decided has been treated unfairly. So speaking up on their behalf feels good. It satisfies my need to be heard without the risk of facing any personal backlash. The only issue is... I'm not addressing the real problem. So, now that I'm aware of what shadow work is, and more importantly, that I actually need to take a closer look at it and do some work, I wanted to see if I could find ways that I could do that work on my own. Now, this all could also be done with a professional, but there are some things, if you're interested, that you can do on your own. Most start with writing prompts so i know that for myself if i'm being honest i struggle with feelings of feeling like i'm not enough pretty enough smart enough capable enough skinny enough fill in the blank i put on myself the idea that if i can't be perfect i just won't do it even with stupid things like i won't play a game If I'm not good at it, if there's no chance of me winning, I'm not going to participate. But if there's a good chance that I'll do well, I will give it a hundred percent. I want the chance to win without the risk of losing. I have often said that the main reason I behave, you know, the way I do is because I feel like anything less like if i do something and i don't give it a hundred percent even to this day i feel like my mom is going to find out and be disappointed in me so my writing prompt would probably be something like looking back to find the exact moment when i first felt like i wasn't enough and i thought about this all week I tried to come up with one specific incident, and I couldn't. It was more just like this overarching feeling that I must be perfect in order to not get into trouble. I could also try to look at, you know, what stops me from not feeling good about myself. Is it really that I'm not skinny or pretty enough? Or is that my excuse for not accepting myself as I am? Which is not perfect. Why am I placing more importance on all the ways in which I fall short and not on the things about myself that I actually do like? Even in the moments when I messed up and got into trouble, that didn't mean I wasn't loved. I had equated perfection with acceptance. So when I wasn't perfect, I interpreted that as not being loved. Something we can do when we're doing our shadow work is to ask ourselves, if someone else did it, how would we react to them? And it kind of brought up this memory from years ago. I was babysitting my niece who at the time was maybe about four. And we were in the living room. I had set her up with lunch. I put her a little TV tray in front of the TV for her. And we were sitting on the couch and we were watching something and we were laughing and we're fooling around. And totally by accident, she bumped the TV tray and knocked over her cup of milk onto the living room rug. Now, two important things here. One, I had given a four-year-old a cup of milk without a lid. Figured she'd be fine. And two, I was the one making her laugh and goofing around with her, which is why she bumped the tray. So if anybody was to blame, it was me. And when it spilled, she looked up at me and all I saw was two huge tears in her eyes because she thought she was in trouble. She wasn't. I didn't blame her at all. It was an accident. And like I said, if anybody was to blame, it was me. She was the four-year-old. I was the you know, semi-adult. I was supposed to know better. But I realized she had the same reaction I would have had at her age because I would have gotten into trouble for goofing around and spilling my milk on the living room rug. Of course I didn't yell at her. I told her it was okay. It was an accident and I'd clean it up and nobody would even have to know it happened. And I'm sure if you were in my position, you would have handled that the same way. That is the way we need to be with ourselves. In past episodes, I have talked a lot about grace and how it is just as important to show ourselves grace. You have people in your life who have made mistakes. Do you still love them? Do you understand that even though they made a mistake, they're still a good person? So why can't we do that with ourselves? Instead of me listing all the ways I feel that I am not good enough, why can't I list the things I like about myself? So maybe I'll never turn heads when I walk into a room. But if you get me one-on-one, I can hold up my end of any conversation. And no, I'm never going to be the fittest person in the room. But I've worked hard over the past year to improve my health and make my body strong. So what if I'm not a genius, compassionate, and more accepting of others than I have ever been? I know I still have a lot of work to do when it comes to the parts of myself that I don't like to show publicly. It's about acknowledging those parts exist and then working on accepting them and integrating them. No one's perfect. We're all works in progress. Just try to be as forgiving of your own shortcomings as you are with the people you love. By accepting your shadow self, you can start to see how your thoughts and emotions influence your behavior. You will have more compassion and grace for yourself. The process is not quick and it's not easy. You can't go in thinking you'll be able to quickly extinguish a fire that you have been carefully and attentively stoking with guilt and shame for years. It takes work, it takes a lot of self-reflection, but just starting the process will open the door to you becoming more accepting of yourself, your behaviors and the behaviors of others. And once you gain an understanding of the parts of you that you've kept hidden, that's when you can start to change it. You can take control and empower yourself to live your life as your most authentic self. And here's the part that's really going to blow your mind. The people who love you, they're already aware of your shadow self. And guess what? They love you anyway. All right. I'm going to wrap up this week's episode. Thanks for coming back for episode 145. Uh, Just wanted to let you guys know there won't be a new episode next week. I'm going to be spending time with family. So the next new episode will be out Thursday, October 12th. Don't forget. In order to stay on top of, you know, when I'll be around, join the Facebook group, my so-called midlife podcast, and like the Facebook page, my so-called midlife podcast. Or if you're an Instagrammer, follow me over there at my so called midlife podcast. If you like the podcast, tell my tell your friends and then tell them to listen. The second part is the important part. Questions, topic, suggestions, you know what to do. Email me at my so called midlife podcast at gmail dot com. All right, guys. Thanks for listening. Until next time, love you. Bye.